Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we've been talking about dangerous prayers in this series, and today's our last uh, day talking about this, taking our cue from David from Psalm 139. The psalm ends with what we perceive as often dangerous, uh, stress-inducing, challenging prayers, and yet what David is actually praying there in those last few verses are prayers that God invites us to pray daily. Why? Because these prayers are liberating, they're powerful, they bring positive growth in our lives, and they actually help make our lives have some meaning of eternal value as we pray them. It's actually really cool to hear how David's prayer has been uh, interacting with some of you, and this whole series has been interacting with some of you. After last week's service, uh, Jeremy Lowe gave us permission to share this. He, he said during the service, as he was just pondering what, was, what the, the scripture and the imagery and stuff we were talking about, uh, he saw this image of himself on a black stage looking in this mirror, and uh, all he could see looking in the mirror were his flaws. Uh, and, and, he, and he realized that then after looking for a while that, his, that the image in the mirror was beginning to change. And he, as he began to surrender to this process of God searching him and knowing him and testing him and uh, chiseling and shaping and forming him, he said it really felt like God was speaking to him and he was really raw and open and exposed. And yet as he saw God come into those places of brokenness and wounds, the image on the, on the mirror that he was seeing would no longer, it was no longer of himself but of God. And God was in the process of becoming more the core of who he is and who he was. Then Jeremy got ahead to start actually on focusing what we're talking about today because also in the midst of that and the awareness of his brokenness and the, and the messiness and the imperfection, he really felt like God was touching him and saying, empowering him to step out and lead, especially lead in his family. I just think it's really cool how God speaks to different people and, and how God comes to us. When we allow God to come into our flaws and our brokenness, Jesus becomes the core of who we are in life and works through us to love and heal other people. I love hearing that. So let's quickly jump into today's message. We're going to just, today we're just going to read the last two verses, which has been the core of this from Psalm 139. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test me, know my th- and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So search me and know me, and test me. And today we're going to talk about this part of the prayer that says, lead me. And that's a powerful statement. Is it coming from a king saying, lead me? Michael Hyatt is an editor, at, or used to be an editor at Thomas Nelson. He's famous for having launched the viral movement of all the, the glut of leadership books being written over the last 35 years. He captures one of the most common enduring leadership maxims that I think has been around for at least 4,000 years, and it's this. If you want to be a great leader, you must first become a great follower. Now, there's similar wisdom along that that's often quoted in leadership books, and, and it goes like this. If you want to become a great leader, attach yourself to a great, lead, great leader and follow them well. So David is actually demonstrating this common wisdom that we all recognize. If you want to be the greatest possible person, the greatest possible leader that you can become, then attach yourself to the greatest, to God. And now... If this was a two-minute devotional, we could all be done. We could head off and beat the lunch crowd and be, you know, be, be on our way. But I've got more to say. 
So when David says this prayer, it is actually both a prayer of uh, reorientation and a prayer of readiness. And we're going to talk about those two things. So first, lead me is this prayer of reorientation for him. See, in context, when David is saying, lead me here, he's actually saying, God, you are the one who knows. You are the one who defines truth, not me. So search me. Know me. Test me, refine me, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the kind of truth that lasts. The real, unvarnished, unadulterated truth. A few verses earlier, David actually highlights this. He revels in the God's truth saying, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I love David using that term vast. It's a great word, isn't it? It's actually a word that when I was thinking about this last week, it reminds me of my friends and I growing up when we get in an argument and we wanted to win as kids. You know, we, the kind of arguments that go like, my dad is 10 times smarter than you. No, my dad is 100 times smarter than you. No, my dad is a million times smarter than you. And then there was this way that you could trump everybody because it was the biggest number possible. And we used to say it this way, my dad is Googleplex smarter than you. Anybody else use Googleplex growing up? Thank you. No one in the first service. I thought it was just a keister thing. Okay, God's intellect is, is so vast and so wise, larger than we can quantify. To David, God's thoughts are so precious. They are such a treasure. How do we treasure God's thoughts in our own lives? I mean, the way that is most clear is to treasure his thoughts through the Bible. And I know many of you value the Bible, and there's some of you, though, that you value the Bible, but you also have some doubts about its reliability. Is it really the truth? Is it really God's word? Have, have people changed the Bible so much over the years from its original form that it can't be trusted? And many educated people assume that science and modern scholarship have thoroughly discredited the Bible uh, because there are smart scientists and academics that we've heard make such claims. The problem is that the vast majority of academics who make those claims are not actually experts in the Bible, its history, or its transmission. Many of us have believed these academics who are not experts in the Bible, and as a result, we believe things that are untrue about the Bible that smart people have said to us. It's like taking surgical advice from your car mechanic instead of your surgeon. Only it's not as obvious because these scientists, these academics that we've heard make these claims are really smart people and they sound convincing. Among academics, both Christian and atheist, who are actually experts in the Bible, in its origins, in its historicity, in the transmission and how accurate it is today, there is extremely strong agreement among the vast majority now, there are a few outliers, but the vast majority agree Then they confirm the historical reliability and the reliability of the transmission of the text from then to today, meaning we today in our Bible have what was originally written. And what was originally written was historically reliable and often eyewitness records of history. Add to that the massive archaeological evidence. I mean, just recently they discovered in a, in a period dig that they're doing in Israel something that they believe is very likely the signature of Isaiah, the prophet. And we're actually going to talk about Isaiah a little later today. We can become confident that the Bible is reliable. Another reason we can trust the Bible is unlike many other, uh, uh, any other book, the Bible offers a multitude of specific uh, predictions about the future some hundred years and hundreds of years in advance, and those things have come true 
And there's more predictions yet to be fulfilled. Add to that, and this may sound a little weird to you, but, but there's a reason. Just listen to me. We as followers can trust the Bible because of what the text itself says. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, all scripture is inspired by God. The Apostle John wrote, your word is truth. The psalmist David wrote, the entirety of your word is true. So what does that mean? Why should we trust it? The great people of faith are basically saying the Bible has been experienced by them as true, as have hundreds of millions of people across the centuries who have been followers of Jesus. There is evidence of the Bible being true scientifically, historically, evidence of millions of lives experiencing the truth, leading them to health, to life, to goodness, to meaning, to freedom, to salvation. Truth works. And they've experienced it working. To pray, God, lead me, is to say, God, I will let the Bible, along with your presence, your Holy Spirit, lead me. Because, because of the vastness of God's thoughts, that means you can read the same thing over and over again and, and year after year and see truth more clearly, more fully, more profoundly each year. See, the simple reality is all of us need to pray this prayer. Because we need the truth to be challenged in our lives. Because the reality is, truth in all of our lives can so easily be twisted and distorted, even in the most sincere believer. Truth is often distorted in many ways. Sometimes it's a, a seemingly good things that deceptively sneak in and, and distort truth. Sometimes we just don't understand the Bible well enough and truth becomes distorted. Sometimes we don't want to be in a disagreement with somebody and so we avoid difficult issues and top, topics and we choose what we feel like is compassion rather than wrestling with the truth of the Bible and learning how to also be true to the truth of the Bible and be compassionate at the same time. See, truth gets distorted when we want to fit in. And for many other reasons, truth in our lives gets distorted. Therefore, we need to learn to continually hold our truth with an open hand, asking God for wisdom, searching the Bible, being in relationship with other followers of Jesus who can help encourage us and point us to the true truth of Scripture and God to pursue being led by God and His truth. See, the simple recognition that truth can be distorted leads us to actually the same point David is in this, where David is expressing in this psalm, namely how helpless he is and how helpless I am, how helpless you are, apart from the Holy Spirit to save me, to save ourselves from wrong things that we believe. How desperately we need God to lead us and to be our truth because without him, I will never get past the, 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 the tinted lenses and the distortions of my life to be able to ever see things clearly. So we seek truth. But truth is never a passive thing either. Truth is never just a thought. It's never just a belief that we hold, a, a propositional statement we hold. Truth is something we live out. That's where the power of truth is. We see it in James, who was Jesus' half-brother, who didn't believe in Jesus, even though he saw all the profound miracles and saw the teaching and all the crowds following Jesus. James did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, and then he went on to become the leader of the Jerusalem church. And James writes, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He's being a little sarcastic here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
So what's he saying? In other words, he's saying this. You can believe truth. You can think rightly about truth and still be opposed to God and reap curse in your life instead of the blessing God wants you to have. Truth only has its power in our lives when we live it out. So this prayer of David of lead me is about reorienting his life to the truth and a willingness to follow that truth and live out that truth. Lead me is also a prayer of readiness. As a way of getting in to set up this idea of readiness, this prayer highlights an issue that I think we all have in prayer. It's, it's this. It's easy to pray prayers about our own needs and about the needs of those we love. God, would you help me do this? God, would you heal my sister? God, would you help me find a better job? Would you, would you bless me here? Would you bless me there? And, and absolutely, we need to keep praying those prayers. Those are legitimate good prayers that we should be praying. But David is actually, in this prayer, adding a new layer. It feels dangerous. It feels risky to us. It's a different focus. Instead of, God, would you do this for me? This way of praying is saying, God, what can I do for you? God, how can I be available and ready to follow you as you lead my life? See, instead of praying about you, you are praying about your availability and readiness, making yourself available to God, making uh, ready to jump in and do whatever God brings your way. So this week, that might look like many different things. It might look like stopping by the colleague at work who's always alone, always by themselves, rarely interacts with others, and, and just reaching out and, and talking with them and being warm and friendly, maybe bringing them some food to bless their day. Tomorrow, it, it might look like praying for your neighbor who tells you that, that, that their spouse is sick and, and going over and praying and taking them a meal. It might, it might mean seeing a need at church and filling it, even if it's not the thing you'd go, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. It's just seeing a need and jumping in, saying, God, I'm available. David prays this prayer, see, around the time when he's actually being inaugurated king over all of Israel. So lead me, when David prays lead me in that context, it's actually more about the people that he's about to lead and the mission God has given him to lead them. And he's asking God, would you lead me to do this really well? And so for us to pray that prayer with that same mindset that David is praying, it would mean us saying, God, how can I follow you today so that you can lead other people through me to salvation, to healing, and to all the good that you have for them? See, praying, praying lead me might sound like uh, these types of prayers where we just go and say this uh, throughout the day, every hour. Maybe there's a different prayer. Maybe it's, uh, God, wh where do you want me to go today? Who, who do you want me to talk to? Who, what do you want me to say? Who, who do you want me to care for? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to pray for? God, uh, uh, who can I talk to today about how awesome you are? Who can I, who can I partner? How can I partner with your Holy Spirit so that, so that what I do today in touching this person is more than just giving them you know, a, a hand of, of, of friendship and food, but, but you actually show up in power and make yourself known in a way that is bigger than me. It's a prayer of availability. And it's a prayer of readiness to do whatever God nudges you to do throughout the day. Here's the problem, though. As humans, we tend to have three different responses to God's leading in our life, to God calling us to do something. And we see them in the Bible, so we're going to look at three different characters. The first one is Jonah. Jonah responded to God's leading by saying, Here I am. I'm not going. God speaks to him, and Jonah says, here I am, God, go ahead and speak. God speaks to him, and he says, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm not going. In fact, he gets, not only does he not go, he gets on a boat going the opposite direction of where God asks him to go. Uh, have you ever had that experience where God nudges you, and you just say, no, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. You feel like God is prompting you. 
you re- to reach out and care for a person or share your faith or, or to give and do something and your answer is not today God I'm not I'm not that's not I'm not doing that so in when we lived in Oregon our neighbors were Don and Sumi they were both around 80 years old when we left and they were they were not belligerently anti-Christian but they were very clearly anti-Christian uh, that being said they were fantastic neighborhood neighbors other than their demon-possessed schnauzers who likes used to like to attack our kids when they were out playing and so whenever their dogs would attack us, Wendy or I would uh, stood there and fending them off. Don would actually come running down the driveway yelling, and he'd, he'd sound like this, Shame, Zeus! Shame, Apollo! Shame, shame, shame! And his voice sounded a lot like that. And as annoying as it was, it was actually quite entertaining to watch him run down the driveway doing that. Don one day came to our front door knocking frantically. He desperately needed help. His wife, Sumi, a diabetic, was uh, going into a diabetic coma, and he wasn't strong enough to hold her up and help her get some food and glucose pills down, so I ran up to the house with him into the kitchen and find, found Sumi lying on the floor, in, incoherent, almost, almost completely unconscious, barely conscious at all. I held Sumi up while their demon-possessed dogs were biting me in the derriere. I can kind of still... <laughs> I still feel it whenever I think about this. We, we got enough stuff down Sumi that she came out of it a bit and, and the squad got there and took her to the hospital and Wendy and I later on went and visited her at the hospital and Don was there. And in that time I felt like God was prompting me to pray for Sumi right then and there in that moment. And because of their antagonism toward Christianity, I, I chickened out. And I just said, we'll be praying for you. Have a good day and walked out. We found out later they were overwhelmed with gratitude that we would come by and visit them and that we would even say that we were praying for them. I look back on that circumstance and I really regret and I wonder what God might have done had I actually prayed in that moment. Had I actually taken the time, would that have opened the door for more conversation? Would it have opened the door where they may have actually begun to come to faith more? God called. I said no. I don't want to do it. See, sometimes we say no because of fear, because of not wanting to be disliked. Jonah said no because God was asking him to go to his enemies and offer forgiveness, and, and he was bitter from the mistreatment of his enemies, and, and, and that prevented him. He didn't want to do that. David, on the other hand, submitted his fears and bitterness to God, and because he knew they could prevent him from seeing truth clearly and experiencing the best of God, in his life and from other people experiencing the best. So one way we respond to God, to his calling on our lives, is like Jonah. Here I am, I'm not going. A second way we respond is actually like Moses. Here I am, send someone else. So send the pastor. Send, send someone who knows more. Send the person who in my small group who always seems more confident than I am. God, what you're asking me to do seems too hard, too big for me. I'm not the best person. I, I'm not very good at speaking or praying or and whatever our list has in it. You see, God comes to Moses and he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh in Egypt. And you're going to go lead my people out of bondage to the promised land. Now, now remember, this is actually something Moses is really passionate about. He felt strongly about this, so strongly that 40 years earlier he had gotten in trouble because he tried to intervene and bring freedom and he... He killed an Egyptian who was persecuting his people that he wanted to be free, and it cost him dearly. But instead of him saying, yes, God, I'll, I'll go, Moses says, well, I, I can't speak well. I stutter. 
Send my brother who's already in Egypt. He, he talks really good. Let him do it. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. Uh, someone else would be better. So here I am, God, send, send someone else. I'm not the right person. And isn't that easy for all of us to do as well? I'm not going to give because someone else should give and can give, and so I'm not going to give. I, I, you know, God's nudging you to be more generous, but, but here I am, God, send someone else. Maybe God's nudging you to be involved in, in children's ministry and your response is, I'm not that great with kids. Send, send, send somebody else. I'm a business person. I know numbers. I know, I know adults, not kids. I mean, what do I know about teaching kids? What do I know about teaching them to pray and know God and send someone else? So God nudges you to do something and you respond with, no, send someone else. I'm not the right person. And, and what we miss out on, what we miss out on is the joy of seeing God show up. A few years ago when we were making a call for people to volunteer for children's ministry, two men and friends agreed to do it together as friends. They neither felt called nor prepared to work with children. One was Rob Hall, and Rob passed away a couple of years ago. He didn't feel capable with kids. The other, the other one was Joe Sim, and had a wonderfully gifted man who, as a profession, trains and mentors leaders, adult leaders, not children. But together, Rob and Joe said, well, we don't feel qualified, capable, but let's just, let's just help out and let's see what happens. You know what? They both made a huge, tremendous difference in the lives of kids, and Joe still does to this day. Or maybe God's leading you and nudging you to start a small group and help lead a small group, and you say, well, God, send someone else. There's got to be someone a whole lot better at leading that kind of thing, at leading discussions and leading groups. God nudges you to talk to your neighbor and pray for them, and, but you say, God, what do I know about prayer? See, I love this. I, I heard a story again recently from someone not long ago, another person at Quest, who wasn't at all comfortable praying with people, especially not outside of church, felt the nudge for God to pray for someone, and they did. And God showed up in such a profound way that for the first time they knew God was real, personal, and powerful beyond what they could ever have thought or experienced. See, Jonah says, God, I'm here. I'm not going. Moses says, God, here I am. Send someone else. And then there's Isaiah, one of the most famous prophets in Jewish and Christian history. And Isaiah 6 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? See, God's asking a question here. And then Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah is praying the same prayer in different terms, this prayer of God, lead me. He's, he's poised in this moment with an eager availability, an eager readiness. See, notice Isaiah didn't say, where are you sending me? How much will it cost? Will I like the food? My daughter's preparing for missions, and she actually for a while was going, where would I want to go? And she was trying to figure it out based upon what kind of food she likes. Is the climate nice? What am I supposed to do? Am I capable of doing what you're asking? Will I be paid for it? What kind of benefits will there be? He didn't ask any of those questions. Because Isaiah is poised, eager, and ready. See, what Isaiah does is he gives God a blank check. God, you want to do something? You need somebody to do something? I don't care what it is. Here I am. Send me. So what's the difference between Jonah, Moses, and Isaiah? Now, admittedly, uh, Jonah got a second chance and did what God asked. Though his heart never became eager and ready to do it, he actually did it begrudgingly out of duty, and therefore he missed all the joy and the blessing that God wanted to bring into his life by doing what God intended. 
Moses himself also relented and did what God asked, although he still was doubtful of his ability. Rather than trusting God's opinion of him, Moses still trusted his own opinion of his speaking ability rather than God's, and God accommodated that, though problems, if you read the story carefully, emerged because Moses didn't believe God had fully prepared him even in his speaking ability. But both Jonah and Moses got a second chance, and that's just who God is. If you've ever said, here I am, I'm not going, here I am, send somebody else, God is still there eagerly waiting for you just to stand up and say, here I am, send me, and to do some really amazing things through your life. And here's what I want you to see. We can sometimes think of these biblical people as these superheroes. Isaiah wasn't some sort of overly, uh, you know, great superhero, perfect person, one in a million type person, not like the rest of us. No. Isaiah faced the exact same challenges that Jonah and Moses dealt with and faced, but still kept his faith and his heart in a state of readiness, eager to be led. We actually see it in Isaiah 6. When you read Isaiah 6, you see God interacting with Isaiah in a vision. Try to imagine yourself as I read this, you being in that vision and seeing what is here. It goes this. It says, In that year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. So these are really big angels that if they walked in the room, you'd probably go... You know, instantly. Uh, and, and the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. See, our, our decibel levels are nothing compared to this. This is like, you know, off the charts. And the house was filled with smoke. And a few verses later in verse 8, it says, and you hear God again saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go? Asking this question. I don't know about you, but if I were there, I would be overwhelmingly awed, speechless, terrified. This is the kind of like, kind of like Isaiah being brought into God's version of the White House Command and Control Center, except with the addition of angel choirs that are really amazing and intimidating singing, and, and there's far more messengers going back and forth everywhere, orchestrating God's mission on earth, answering that question, who shall I send, who shall I send, to, to finish off the defeated foe of the demons in this earth and to win the hearts of as many humans as possible, to set them free, to save them, to heal them, to redeem them, to restore them. It's like central command calling out, who will go? Who will go here? Who will go there? Who, who will say to this person what I want them to say? Who will pray for this person and believe that they can actually be saved? Who, see, God is on a mission. The Holy Spirit is moving all throughout the earth right here in the lives of your friends who are not followers of Jesus yet, who you don't think ever will become. The Holy Spirit is active and moving. God's Spirit is moving in the lives of your neighbors who, 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 who while they have had or maybe had a faith in Jesus, have become disillusioned with God and church for whatever reason, and now they're disconnected and they spend more time in the pursuit of pleasure than they do in the pursuit of God. The Holy Spirit is moving in North Korea, in China, in Iran, in Afghanistan, all over the world. And God is saying, I need someone. I need someone here. I need someone there. God is looking for people who will say what Isaiah said. Here I am. Send me. 
See, the picture of this vision is Isaiah is not the focal point. God's the focal point. He's kind of off the side. And then he says, here I am, send me. It's like, hey, God, here. God isn't asking this question of him directly. He's just asking a question. And Isaiah's over there dancing, saying, me, me, me. It's not about the power, our, our power to do things or our ability. It's his. And what stands in the way of us, what, what is it that stands in the way of us saying, send me? See, for Isaiah, being in God's central command is like experiences in this overwhelming place of authority and awesomeness. So actually he goes on and he tells us what his response was to what he saw. And he says this, and I, sa- and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, like Moses, Isaiah felt completely incapable of doing anything for God. He knew he wasn't strong enough, good enough, smart enough, capable enough, pure enough, or holy enough. He felt completely unqualified. It's not not just Moses and Isaiah. Everyone who God says... I want you to do this. I want to call you to do this. Feels unqualified. Jeremiah felt too young. Gideon felt too insignificant. Everyone feels unqualified, just like you and I. And God looks at us and says, Yeah, I know. I know who you are. And I'm calling you to follow me and do stuff for me anyway. See, God is saying right now, again, who of you will go to your neighbor, your coworker, your family member? Who of you this Thanksgiving will, will go to your Uncle Joe, who's a chauvinist who you can't stand, and show him love? Who of you will go serve in the schools? Who of you will be co- go into politics to represent me there? Who of you will go to the homeless person or the abused person and minister to them even though it's so difficult because they've been rejected and, and, and hurt so much it feels like the issues are too embedded they could never be overcome and changed? Who of you will take on those kinds of people and love them and be sent to them and go to them by me? Who will help the broken find love and healing? See, a few verses later, Right after Isaiah says, here I am, send me. We see the other part of it. God says, okay, here's what I'm sending you to do. I'm sending you to a people who are blind and don't want to see. I'm sending you to people who are deaf and don't want to hear. I'm sending you to people whose hearts are dead set against me and whatever you say they'll also be against. I'm sending you to a people who desperately need to be healed but will not allow themselves to be healed. They will, on the whole, be like wounded dogs who will constantly fight you and never give up fighting you even though you're trying to help them. And Isaiah says, knowing the rejection he's going to experience, that doesn't retract his, here I am, send me. And change it to Jonah's, here I am, I'm not going to follow. He stays the course, eagerly ready to do what God says. I mean, Isaiah is basically saying, God, I'll I'll go to people who will be angry with me, who will be defensive, who will reject me, who will resist me. I'll go whether there are results or not, God. If you ask me to go, no matter if it seems possible or insurmountable, here I am, send me, I'll go. So what's the difference between Isaiah and Jonah? 
What is it that removes the desire to protect yourself from the rejection and hurt that makes you want to say, here I am, send me, and, and instead of saying, here I am, I'm not going? What is it that removes the, the fear and belief of your inabilities to, that you have the, no ability to do what he's asked you to do and it keeps you saying, here I am, send someone else, instead of saying, here I am, send me? David feels the same kind of pressure in Psalm 139 that we've been dealing with and prays, God, search me, know me, test me, refine me, see if there's any grievous and sinful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, when Isaiah says, woe am I, a sinful, weak, and capable person, here's actually what happens. The text goes on in Isaiah. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, just like David's ability to pray the dangerous prayer, being based in love and the grace of God, so also for Isaiah. It is also the experience of God's love and grace that frees his heart and frees our heart to be eagerly ready to say, here I am, send me. It's the same is true of all of us. Because just as an angel brought that coal to Isaiah's lips, and took away Isaiah's guilt and enabled him to speak and lead for God, so it is also God's grace and love that comes to you and I, that is received by you and I, that allows every one of us to say, I am forgiven by God. I am empowered by God's Spirit. And because God is with me, I can do whatever God calls me to do, no matter how strong or weak or how capable or incapable I am. I can do whatever God calls me to do. And when we take that on, your faith takes on a whole different motivation and dimension, doesn't it? When you know how much God loves you, when you know he is with you, you know he has good planned for your life that are the good that is bigger than you, that you could never accomplish on your own, more meaningful than you could ever imagine, that he is going to do that through you. See, God is calling out all the time. Even today, he's saying to us, who will go into the neighborhoods around the church? Who will listen and affirm and care for your cousin at Thanksgiving who is negative and always self-absorbed? Who will go to the neighbor in need and reach out and help? Who will go to that colleague who is in pain and who is frankly not only in pain, but they're a pain in the behind? Who will go to the addict who keeps breaking the promises and, and, and constantly feeling like they're using you for your addiction, who will go and figure out how to love them well and be in relationship with them well, even in the midst of that? And I'm not necessarily talking about drugs. I mean, my boys might need an intervention from Battlefield 5 and Smash Brothers addiction. I love, well, those games are great, but I'm really terrible at them. How have you been afraid to pray this dangerous prayer? God, search me, know me, test me, refine me. God, lead me. Here I am, send me. See, how do you respond? To, how do you want to respond to God today through this prayer of lead me? Maybe it's as simple for you as saying yes to the nudge that you feel from God to go give or serve or lead or pray or just by simply saying, here I am, God, send me. And giving God a blank check, saying, I'm ready to respond 
You just tell me, you point me in the direction, I'm ready to go. Maybe it's as simple as saying yes to volunteering in children's ministry or, or somewhere else at church. Maybe it's as simple as saying yes to reaching out and helping your neighbor rake their leaves. And, and, and as you do, even though you're so busy, building that relationship that maybe allows you to care for them and pray for them and, and, and share your faith with them at some point. Take a moment right now. We're just going to have a little bit of instrumental music going on in the background. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to pray. And what I want you to do is I just want you to simply ask God for a specific action step that you can do today or this week to pray and live out this prayer of God, lead me, here I am, send me. So just close your eyes so there's no distraction. There's nothing magical about closing your eyes. It's mainly for all of us who are ADD and don't want to be distracted. Just ask God, what do you want me to do? Where are you sending me this week? Lord, thank you that you've come to us with your love, with your presence. You bring us near to you, that you bring light and life into our lives. And Lord, thank you that you invite us to turn around and, and be sent with you to say, here I am, send me, and to bring that same light that you give us and, and to bring even more light than you give us to people around us because of your presence working through us. So Lord, I pray as we continue to worship that you would just come and that you'd pour out your love in us and that you'd make our hearts soft and ready to say, here we are, Lord. Send us. And Lord, this week would be a turning point or an acceleration for many of us in experiencing the joy of being sent by you and seeing you show up and become real in people's lives. So Lord, here we are. Send us. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G O T O. West.org. Thanks for listening.